about last week in uh, verse 3. As I besought thee to, to abide still at Ephesus, when I went unto Macedonia, that thou mightst charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's what we're talking about. So he said, I'm going to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And the reason that I'm telling you that is where we jump off today. So taking it all in context, Paul says that the aim of that commandment that he gave last week is charity, love. So let's think about that for a moment. The reason that Paul is telling Timothy to make sure that these folks are teaching no other doctrine, whereas false teaching leads to pointless speculation, like we looked at last time, apostolic teaching, true gospel preaching, results in good behavior, which is rooted in love. And that love comes from the inside out. See, God's Holy Spirit gives us a pure heart, gives us a good conscience, and gives us unfeigned faith. Those are the three things that he's talking about right here. Uh, let's back up and look at it again. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. That's the opposite of sinful desires, guilty conscience, and hypocrisy that the uh, worldly false teachings bring about. We're going to expand on that a little bit more next week when we're going along. Uh, and Paul says that this is the focus of this whole letter that I'm writing to you, Timothy. This is what we're, why this is being written. You see, true doctrine, biblical doctrine, biblical teaching, builds people up rather than divide them. There's a lot of divisive things in this world, isn't there? A lot of things, well, you believe this and I believe that and we do this and you do that and people are bent out of shape at each other all the time. True biblical doctrine brings people together. Now, when he's given this kind of instruction to Timothy, Paul's giving him a job, he's tasking him with a job which is more than simply opposing error. Yes, there's, there's false teachers and we have to be in opposition to them, Timothy, but there's more to it than that. He has to encourage charity, encourage love, encourage people to grow and to flourish. Now, this word charity, by the way, is agape. We've heard that term before. That's godly, self-sacrificing love. I was listening to Alistair Begg uh, gosh, I think it was Friday in the car, and uh, he was talking about uh, marriage vows and uh, marriage as a covenant, specifically was what he was talking about. And he, he was talking about the word charity, and he challenged at one point, uh, can you come up with a better word than charity for, for charity? And he says, anytime he throws that out there, nobody can come up with anything better. It's a solid word to describe godly, self-sacrificing love. And it jives pretty well uh, with what Jesus had to say in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, when he speaks of commands to love God and to love people. When he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the others just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus had to say. Paul even said the same thing in uh, 
Romans thir chapter 13. Let's look at that one. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Paul says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This charity, this self-sacrificing love, is the encapsulation of all of the law. Jim. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and that's, that's what Paul was hitting at in Romans 13.10 there. He says, love isn't going to do anything against someone else. So what's the nature of this love that we're talking about here? Uh, well, Paul points out here in Timothy the threefold origins. Uh, it says it comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and unfeigned faith. Pure heart. What does he mean when he says a pure heart? Any takers on that? Well, the word pure there in the Greek is katharos. Katharos. Uh, Paul uses the same term in Titus. It's right next door. Let's go over to Titus chapter 2. Uh, and verse 14. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Uh, oops, uh, wrong, wrong chapter. Uh, chapter. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us, talking about Jesus, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Purify. He's cleaning. Uh, that's that word, purify. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7. He says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Cleansing, removing anything that's corrupting. The word cleanse is the same word, pure. Because of the inner working of Christ in us, cleaning us, driving out those things that are corrupting us, we can now have a clean and a pure heart from which this agape, charity, love can flow. You cannot have it otherwise. It has to come from a heart that's already been purified. The only way to get a purified heart is by the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Well, you didn't even have that option before you were saved. And secondly, it says it flows from a good conscience. Again, a good conscience is only truly possible in a believer. Without Christ, we all have unclean consciences. No matter what people, oh, I've got a good conscience about it. No matter what people might claim, there's no such thing as a clean conscience, a good conscience, apart from Christ. And then it has another interesting thing. It says, finally, that this true charity, this true self-sacrificing love comes from a faith unfeigned. That's a sincere faith. Now, Paul wrote uh, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 
Let's, let's take a look at that. My memory's not as sharp today as it should be. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. It says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Love without dissimulation. The love that we show as believers, Paul says there, ought to be unfeigned love as well. It's the same terminology. This sort of sincere love can only come about if we've been purged from all of our hypocritical tendencies. We're, we all have hypocrisy in our hearts, don't we? We all like to say what ought to happen, but we don't always do it the way we ought to, do we? We all have that tendency. Um, by the way, as we're talking about uh, faith unfeigned, this is already the third time Paul's used this word faith, pistis in the Greek, in this book. We're only five verses in. He's used this word faith three times. That's pretty significant. He, uh, it's used 19 times in the book if you're keeping track. So multiple times each chapter. This is very important. And here, as he's using this word faith, Paul's using faith to describe a believer's trust in Christ and in the gospel. We've talked about that before. We went at length in that in uh, 1 John. So to put it, encapsulate it all, putting it all into context, Paul wants Timothy to show love that's inspired by a personal trust in God who has demonstrated exactly that kind of love to us. That's what Paul's telling Timothy to do. That's what you and I ought to be doing. We ought to be showing that same kind of love that God showed to us by sending his son. See, true love is rooted in gospel truth and not in any kind of self-delusional interests, my own hypocritical interests, trying to gain something. See, this true love unites the believer with God by acting in accordance with his very nature. So moving on to verse 6, it says, From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. So, verse 5 gave us a positive aspect of Paul's command to stop these heretics from teaching these false doctrines, verses 6 and 7 are now going to show us just how wrong-headed these false teachers are. They're basically two parts, verses 6 and verse 7, two parts to their error as Paul sees it. First of all, they've swerved. They have left the true path of love from a pure heart. We just saw that, that path. Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from unfeigned faith. These people have swerved from that. They're no longer on that path. They've left that path for a different track. Now, I hope you realize that all believers may meander down through their Christian life. We all have days when we're walking truer, but it hadn't ought to be a, a course of what we, we hadn't ought to peel right off and go the wrong way. We're all going to have our own wandering ways in our Christian walk. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Uh, he's talking about 
okay, I seem to have wandered off. I got to get back on track and coming back to a straight and proper course once you realize that you've gotten off track, not a permanent deviation. The second issue is not what they've swerved from, but rather what they've swerved to, what their new preoccupation is, if you want to look at it that way. And in this case, what have they, what have they swerved away to? To vein jangling. Now, that's an interesting kind of term, it, term isn't it? Vein jangling. It literally, if you want to take it absolutely literally, and some Bibles translate it this way, it meaningless talk. That's really what it's talking about. Uh, the, the word is uh, complicated. It's uh, metalogia. Metalogia. Logia, talk, uh, mateo, empty, pointless, vain. Uh, Paul uses it to describe gossip. He uses it to, to describe uh, pointless conversation. He uses it to describe criticisms in various other places. Uh, he uses a noun form in Titus chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, For there are many unruly and vain talkers, that's the same metalogia, vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision he's talking about in Titus. Most times when this prefix matea is used in the New Testament, it refers to something that is opposed to God and his law. So not only is this empty talking, vain talking, meaningless waste of time talking, but when something is empty, vain, and pointless, it's opposed to God and his law. Now that's something to consider, isn't it? So when you put this all together... Paul is warning against people who just rattle on and on without saying anything worthwhile because that's actually opposed to God himself. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. We hadn't ought to be doing anything without a purpose. Did you know that the Bible warns us over and over and over and over again about the ungodliness of idle chatter when you really want to make a study of it? The Bible tells us over and over and over again of the dangers of idle chatter. Now, as I study scripture, that seems to tell me that the proper child of God ought to be a man of few words. If you have something to say, spit it out. Say it precisely, say it clearly, and be done. Don't just talk to hear yourself talk pretty clear lesson and it's throughout the scripture. I challenge you to take that study up. I'm not going to do it right now. Let's move to verse 7 and wrap up. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Now later on as we go through this book, we're going to see Paul praise people who aspire to be leaders in the local church. This is a good thing, he says. But here, he isn't too happy with some of these folks who desire to be teachers of the law. Paul says that some of these folks who desire to be teachers of the law don't even understand what they're saying or what they claim to believe in. These people want to be recognized as experts in biblical teaching, but they don't really understand what they're talking about. Now, again, 
as Paul describes this, he says their ignorance is twofold. First, they don't understand what they're saying, and yet they're saying it anyway. Secondly, they don't even understand the inferences that they're trying to make from the law. Now, that kind of reminds me of the situation Jesus faced. Again, it's always a good idea to take us back to what Jesus would have to say on something. Let's go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, Jesus dealt with this very same situation. Folks haven't really changed, have they? John chapter 5, verses 39 to 47. Forgive me, it's a long passage, I'm going to read it. Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor which cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Jesus was talking to the scribes there. They claimed to be following the law of Moses. They claimed to be obeying the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus says, you're not even doing that. And if you can't follow the Old Testament, then how are you going to pay any attention to me? You and I are in the same boat today. Now, you might ask about these people who, who are teaching biblical truths. How can they talk about the Bible if they don't understand it? And yet we see a lot of it happening. There's all kinds of people. Church leaders, historians, other things like that. It's a common problem. Here's, let me make another example. It's a very common problem among recent Bible school graduates. Uh, they will come right out of their Bible school, and they will get pumped up with facts, all of them true, and then they'll start teaching them what they're really doing is parroting back what their teachers told them. They haven't made the truth their own. Let me make another example. Let me make an example from Jesus' life. Jesus is t uh, talking to the woman at the well, John chapter 4. And he says an interesting thing there in the midst. Uh, he says that the person who drinks of the water that I will give him will have a well inside him springing up with new living water, right? Some Bible preachers can repeat a biblical truth, which they've heard, but the preachers who really have an impact are those folks who have taken God's truth, internalized it, and made it their own. There's a difference. Then it just comes bubbling out of them. It may be the same truth. It's the exact same truth from both, both sorts of preachers. Just like water is water, whether it comes from a glass or whether it comes from a spring. The difference is one is continual and flowing because it's been internalized and it comes right out. It's become the preacher's truth. He's taken it in. He's not just reading it and parroting it back. 
it's become true to him. And that's the difference. That's the one I want. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. These people, they claim to be Bible teachers. Some of what they're teaching may be true, may be accurate, may be biblical truth. But the difference is it's not coming from unfeigned faith. It's not coming from a pure heart, not coming from good conscience. They haven't made it their own. And they haven't had the internal change that Paul knows Timothy has and that Timothy needs to make sure is happening in his church. That's the lesson that we have for today. You and I need to internalize God's truth. It has to make a change inside of us so that it comes bubbling forth. That's what I want. I trust that's what you guys want. You mind if I close in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for your truth. Truth is such a rare commodity in this world these days. We thank you for your word. Help us to take that word inside. Help it to change us by the power of your Holy Spirit.